0: Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 438 with Dr. Omalara Thomas Umedimo. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 438. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms Dr. Omalara Thomas Uemedimo is a shameless mom, a board-certified pediatrician of over 15 years, and an academic faculty member for over a decade, providing coaching and mentorship programs for physicians of color. She's also the CEO of Strong Children Wellness, an innovative telemedicine practice that addresses both unmet health and social needs for families in New York, And she's the founder of Melanin Medicine and Motherhood, an organization focused on empowering and supporting the personal and professional development of Black women physicians, especially mothers, to achieve their vision and build their capacity to support other women of color. Her career has been defined by a passion for social justice, being an advocate, a professor, a researcher committed to ensuring all mothers and children, no matter their race, income, or background, have an equal right to thrive. She's worked as a global physician in New York City, Boston, and in 12 countries across Sub Saharan Africa, Asia, and the Caribbean. Dr. Ua Medimo is a national speaker to both physician and community audiences in the fields of overcoming implicit bias and racism in healthcare settings, inclusion and equity for women physicians in healthcare, and health equity for marginalized children and families, including those from immigrant and Black communities. She's been featured in several media outlets, including Essence.com, Newsweek, Rudders, NPR, and CNN Español. So I know Omalara because we have been in the same mastermind for the last, I think, like nine months or so. And the first mastermind meeting that she came to, she sat next to me. And we just completely hit it off. And I adored her from the get go. And I've learned so much from her. We've had a lot of fun together. We've had some good laughs together. She actually came out to Seattle a few months ago for a trip. And I got to spend some time with her here locally, which was really fun. So we've just had a really beautiful friendship that's kind of been fast founded over the last nine months or so. But she's someone who I also, on top of just you know adoring her as a friend, I respect her so tremendously as a professional and as a leader. I respect her so much as someone who is a truth teller and someone who will say something when she sees something. And so in addition to everything that we talk about on the episode today, I want to encourage you to follow Omalara on social media and especially on Facebook, because right now she's talking a lot about what is happening with COVID-19 in black and brown families, communities, and what it really looks like in comparison to how white communities are being served. And there's a big difference. And I think this is something that we all really need to know. We need to be exposed to the truth behind how this disease, this virus is showing up differently. For different populations and how different populations are being served in terms of treatment and accessibility to treatment. So she's just someone who is exposing all sorts of truths that we all need to be made aware of around this. And so a lot of her work around that that I've been seeing has happened since we recorded this interview, just as things have gotten increasingly heightened and more, you know, severe and drastic with COVID. What we talked about in this episode is we talked about her experience being a physician in New York during COVID-19. We talked about why she made the professional shift to serve female doctors of color. We talked about the importance of vulnerability, community, and confidence as the antidote to burnout and we talked about why she decided to create communities specifically for women physicians of color. So this was a more recent change for her professionally that I got to witness and kind of see her go through the figuring out stages, which was really, really cool and really fun. So I loved talking with Dr. Omalara. She's just someone who's really special to me. I'm so grateful for her friendship, and I love watching her as a leader, and I've learned so much from her. So I cannot wait to introduce you all to Dr. Omalara, Thomas-Uamedimo. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here today.
1: Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm super excited to be here. We
0: booked this months ago before COVID 19 was a thing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Here we are now. You are in New York. So we're recording this on March 27th. It won't go live for a few weeks, but. You're in New York where things are big and scary and lots, lots going on. And you're a doctor in New York right now. So tell us just a little bit about like what life is like over there.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, so I want to be clear. You know, I am, I'm a physician. I am not essential staff right now. I'm actually in the startup phase of a new practice. But one of the things around it is I'm still, in the faculty of my division which is within a hospital and so i'm definitely in the middle of emails and just trying to provide support i actually provide support for the practice around like helping patients get their social needs met which we are finding out is a big issue right now as you know like 3.3 million people applied for unemployment so Our programs actually are in high need right now for people to get food, housing. And so we do that in that center. And I think the biggest thing for me that's really heartbreaking is the fact that, you know, I, not being essential staff, have sat and tried to be a space for a lot of our doctors who are in fear, but kind of that identity and that those feelings are not feelings that they feel comfortable expressing out, right? Because they're the healthcare heroes and they're going to just do things and they can't be afraid because, you know, everybody thinks that they're superhuman. Yeah. So just trying to be that space, I think for me has been, particularly emotional, even having friends who have been positive, and just aren't sure kind of what the course is going to be for them.
0: Oh, my gosh, it's so interesting, because I think that there's so many layers that we don't even think about. And so you know, we think about the people on the front lines, because we see them, and they're getting news coverage and exposure. And obviously, like, they're definitely heroes in so many capacities. But then to think of we don't think about like the layers behind that. So and for you to be in that position and having to be the soft place for them to land. But then like, where's your soft place to land? You know, it's,
1: yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: So that's Oh, my gosh, I mean, what a gift for other colleagues that they have you but what a trying for just the medical field at large, um, even those who are not on the front lines.
1: Yeah, I think the other thing is, especially as a leader of a group that is like physician, physician women, mostly physician moms, it's like a lot of mixed emotions about like resentment and anger and fear and distress and like disappointment in the system in terms of like what they need. And so I think, you know, trying to tackle a lot of our like self-preservation, not even self-care, but literally just like, making sure you eat. Yeah. Making sure you drink, making sure you sleep have been like the things that I've been trying to support a lot of them with and it's been received really well.
0: Yeah, oh my gosh, it's so many big things and it's crazy to think that even by the time this goes live in a few weeks things will be dramatically different. Yes. It's been interesting just being in the space of like recording episodes that aren't going to go live for a few weeks. <laughs> Like (laughs) every day is a lifetime right now. And especially in New York, I'm sure. So it's hard to even imagine where we'll be in a few weeks and what we'll be facing then. And so just sending lots of love out to everyone over there that you are able to hold space for and and everyone who's in this current space as well and who's listening to this in live time.
1: Lots of love to you too. I mean, you know, like we kind of weren't sure it came to Seattle and we weren't sure <laughs> like and then we were like, "Oh, okay. Yes, that this is Yeah, you know, it's been so interesting yeah. in Seattle.
0: C- I mean, we've had, you know, cases across the board for sure, but because in Seattle it was so initially so isolated to these assisted living facilities and the one in particular, it felt big and scary, but it felt a little bit distanced at the same time. It was like, oh, but that's just over there, which is hugely concerning. But I think in New York in such a densely populated area, and now that it's really crossing so many different demographics in terms of age and gender and having comorbidity or not, and it feels very different to me now.
1: Yeah, it's hard. I think one of the things that I am trying to think about with at least the the moms that I work with is about kind of thinking through the, of course, the good side of this. But I think there's a lot to be said about resetting and also setting our boundaries a bit better. So I think for me, you know, I'm a heavy introvert and love like I work from home and like now it's like who are all these people in my home and it's like (laughs) trying to know kind of what is it the reserve is very low right now in terms of like the stress and anxiety so it's literally about how do I protect myself it literally was like these are the boundaries. You're not coming, like, you don't do this. You don't do that. Like, this is not what's going to help me. And just being really, mm-hmm. I think, adamant about that has really helped me. And I think it's also something that, especially us in helping fields, don't do really well <laughs> in terms of saying no and doing no. So yes, I think if one thing it's doing is it's helping us to realize, look, these are the boundaries. I can't even give more than this right now. And just being really okay with that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was actually just this morning on a Facebook Live talking about this time for people who are really empathetic and empathic, that like, you have to really conscientiously be like, I'm going to say no to a whole lot of things. Mm -hmm. Because the need for self preservation is so high. And so you can't, like every call to make homemade masks, like you you can't do it all. You can't do that and buy all the gift cards for your friends who have restaurants and like all the things to save all the people. Like, you can't. We have to save ourselves right now. And that doesn't mean that you don't do anything to be helpful or, you know, compassionate and kind and generous. Like definitely do what you can, but absolutely paying attention to your boundaries and the things that you are really conscientiously saying no to, even though it might break your heart a little bit, I think is really, really important. Yeah. This episode is supported by Nutraful. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Oh my gosh, I am a heavy shedder. So if you are a heavy shedder or if you are someone who's wanting to thicken your hair, I definitely want you to try out Nutrafol. I have loved using it myself and I know multiple other people who've used it and have found great results. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol Women's Hair Growth Supplement for six months. Find out why 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Go to Nutrafol.com. That's N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code SHAMELESS. Nutrafol.com, code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by Air Doctor. You probably don't know that Americans take in about 20,000 breaths per day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors. The indoor air that we breathe can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. Indoor air pollutants can cause upper respiratory symptoms like sneezing, coughing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease so what's the solution introducing air doctor the air purifier that filters out 99.99 of dangerous contaminants so your lungs don't have to this includes allergens pollen pet dander dust mites mold spores and even bacteria and viruses i am so excited that we just got our own air doctor for our house and we will have it all up and running and ready to go in time for All the things that come with spring weather, but also smoke season, which is just around the corner for those of us in the Pacific Northwest. And I know many of you across the country. So here's how you can get your own Air Doctor. First of all, Air Doctor comes with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. com code shameless.
1: You know, I don't want to belabor the point, but I did have a friend today that we were talking and, you know, she has three kids. He's a physician. And she was just like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go in. And she's an, a leader in the institution and, and she's a clinician. And so I said, like, you can't be on the dance floor and the balcony at the same time. And I just feel like if you're in the middle of it, you have such gifts and capacity, that's what you've worked hard for. Then, you know, maybe your service like is to be outside of it. So you can really, you know, protect us. And so I think it's really about understanding for all of us, what is the gift that I'm supposed to give, but also preserving myself? Because if I don't, then I can't actually give that. Right. (laughs) Yes. And so that kind of, you know, it didn't like, of course, leave all of it, but it give a different perspective, I think, around self care as not being selfish and being maintenance, right?
0: (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. So tell us a little bit, we'll switch gears a little here. I mean, we could talk about COVID all day. It's such a joyous subject. So many things to say. (laughs)
1: no, no,
0: please. But but I want to switch gears into and I appreciate you talk because you have this unique perspective being in New York and being a medical professional. So I totally appreciate you taking the time to dive into that. But I want to talk more now about kind of just your quote unquote, regular life, (laughs) pre COVID life. Um, So talk a little bit about what the dynamics are of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now because I know you recently made a shift I should tell everyone I should have said this at the beginning how we know each other we oh yeah are in a mastermind together and Omalara sat next to me at a table like her very first day in the group and I was like oh she's going to be my friend <laughs> and... <laughs> And so at the time, you had a podcast for moms. And as soon as I found that out, I was like, oh, we're going to be best friends. So just stay right here. (laughs) So that's how we know each other. But I know you've kind of gone through a little bit of a transition with your podcast and shifting gears in terms of what you want to be providing for women and who you want to be specifically speaking to, which has been so fun to see as you've gotten more and more clear and more and more just specific about what you the direction you want to go in. So talk about all of that, because I'm so excited hear about it
1: yeah so everyone like knows as Sarah knows I'm a pediatrician and you know it's very interesting because initially my work was I had an autoimmune disorder which I still do have multiple sclerosis and I was hospitalized and had a leave which actually provided me with this space it was a blessing in disguise even though the leave was because I was relearning to walk and during that time period I realized like how work pretty much defined me. Like I literally had nothing when they took my work away. I was kind of like, who am I? And so ultimately it kind of made me think a little bit. And I was just really interested in trying to think about, are there black moms, you know, who are kind of in this space of feeling like it's just work, 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 and not feeling kind of whatever their passion was, whatever their goal was like before becoming a mom, feeling like they have no clue what that is anymore. And so I kind of, I started the Facebook group cause I was just alone and I- <laughs> just wanted some friends. And I wanted some friends and I was that. It's a really great way to make friends. I highly recommend, like
0: it, I actually totally recommend that. <laughs> Okay. All right. Good. Just start a Facebook group. I love a Facebook. I mean, you have a captive audience. People will listen to you.
1: Like, I'm like, um, hi, does anyone want to? So I like literally opened this thing and I was like, hi, this is for, you know, I put it in and I wrote, this is for moms who are, you know, black moms who are just feeling like on the margins and feeling like so stressed out and blah, 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 blah. And literally, I just invited a few friends, like I had 40 people in the Facebook group. And then in the course of like four weeks after getting that information out, it like turned into 400 people. (laughs) And I was like... Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know anything about Facebook groups, uh, but I love it. Yeah, I think what happened during that time was I started to realize, which I knew already, how non-monolithic, um, you know, we are, and also I started to learn about kind of the different, whips, fantastic women who are providing resources for all of these different niches, whether it be. Black professional women, you know, whether it be women of color, whether it be diverse spaces, those that write. But what I was also noticing, I did have some like sprinklings of physician moms in there and they kind of were just on the like quiet. They were just really quiet. Mm. And I started to kind of think about like how like as a physician mom, a lot of as a physician, a lot of times that. There's a tendency we're trained not to be vulnerable, (laughs) we're trained to have that wall up and be the voice of reason, not the voice of emotion. And I was thinking about where's our safe space, you know? And so it started, it kind of like I started to think through that, and I was like, I think they need a space, like, and I don't see that, Mm -hmm. like, I see, and so that was when I decided to switch over from Supermom Rehab. And it was a lie. It it sounds quick, but it was like it took. Sounds like
0: you just like delete a few letters and added some new ones in, right? Just hit backspace on your keyboard.
1: (laughs) It was so much like you know, as a helper, right? It's like, but everyone's gonna be mad at me, and then they're going to like say bad things, and I'm at the whim of like other people's judgment, of course, because that's what's most important. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. And I finally switched over to melanin medicine and motherhood. And I told the moms and you are like, if you find this group to be helpful anyway, stay on. And some people left and some people stayed. And then the, and then I just like changed my messaging to really speak to the fact that we as physician moms have like a lot of times, like many professional moms who have been just going and going and trying to keep up appearances and do what they need to do have not really had space to just stop, breathe, and also see people like them because we're two percent of all physicians (laughs) in the nation. So that kind of is like where that transition happened in twenty twenty and at the beginning of twenty twenty and It's absolutely been fantastic. I've been more vocal (laughs) than ever. I love it. In terms of, and so Sarah's- I've been loving watching it. It's been amazing. (laughs) Yeah, so that's me in a nutshell right now. And as part of it, of course, there are moms in the Facebook group and and then there are moms that I do more in-depth support. In terms of professional and personal development like in terms of getting them to really own their voice and be clear about what their purpose is and actually walk into that and fulfill it so that's me
0: I love it, so cool. So I know that you made this really conscientious shift or addition to add coaching around motherhood and now specifically coaching other doctors and doctors of color. And as a pediatrician, you probably already had a lot on your plate, (laughs) not a lot of free time. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about this decision to get into coaching and supporting women in different ways and supporting moms in different ways in addition to being a doctor?
1: Yeah, it's so interesting because You know, I started my journey right after high school. Like I was like 15 when I graduated, and then like went into the straight BSMD program, and then went straight into resident. I mean, medical school, then residency, and did not turn back. So literally, I was 16, and I was like, boom, okay, let's keep going. And at this point, you know, I was doing all the things. I was a pediatrician, but I was also a faculty member. So I was also mentoring. I was teaching. I was doing research and I was doing all these things. And I was a mom, like you said. To little ones, not like a mom to like an 18 and a 20 year old. (laughs) Yes, I have a five and a seven year old. And back and, and you know, two years ago or so, three years, they were much smaller. yeah. And I think that happened was I was starting to feel burnt out, but I also was feeling so tied to everything that I did. Like I felt like I can't pull out, like what it's a wheel and it's going and I have no clue how to stop it. And actually <laughs> I did have that moment where I could not face like going it no longer gave me joy. Mm because I didn't like taking care of patients, but because of how the system was, which is why, uh, you know, I'm starting this startup on my own terms. And I'm like, this is how it's going to be. Yeah. But um, doing that led me to like pull out of clinical for a while and decide that I wanted to start clinical myself. But also what it did was literally five months after I did that, and I had that difficult conversation with my patients and with, my boss, I ended up uh, hospitalized. And at that point, I realized that I probably like, even though I don't, you can't, there's no specific cause of multiple sclerosis, the stress and the, the going and going and going actually exacerbated that. And I think I'm a spiritual person. And I think that God for me knew that nothing was going to get me off of like to stop until I was actually like, stop, like I could not walk, which was the way I presented. And so at that point that my work was delegated to five people. Whoa. (laughs) Yes. yes. It was like, this person will take this. And I was like, Omolara, come on. And so finally, like having that space to sit, to think, To understand what is it that I really want, which is that reflection space that we never get, you know, that we always fill in because we should be doing something else. Mm -hmm. Sitting there, I really realized what was it that gave me joy. And I definitely loved talking to women. I definitely loved when I was coaching some of my faculty and medical students and residents. And it was just like, that's what I loved. And I was like, why not? Why couldn't I do That And even though I loved clinical medicine, and I still do, why couldn't I do this, which was a little bit different? And I realized the issue was fear. The issue was like, physician has a whole lot of status behind it, and a whole lot of years of training behind it. And what if like, my whole quote unquote, passion is like, not real, it's a failure. And so I was dealing with a lot of that. But then I kind of said, I saw my kids as I was opening the Facebook group, and they my young, my oldest one, it was so touching to me. She was like, mommy, I think I want to be a businesswoman just like you. And I remember t- her telling her friend and she was like, what does your mom do? She's like, oh, she's a doctor. But she also helps moms so that they can be better. And <laughs> they, can, like, they don't get so stressed out by their kids. That was what she Oh, my said. gosh. I love her. So when I started to see that, I started to realize, like, talk with women and do calls with them. I just realized how, yeah, this is what I love. <laughs> and, and it was kind of like, yeah, okay. So I, you know, you've seen me, I've like put a toe in here, say this, try this. And it's slowly been an evolution, but a fun one and a totally stressful one as a business <laughs> owner, <laughs> but a fun one. Like, so it's like back and forth that whole roller coaster.
0: But I love that. I think that's something really cool about this is that you are taking control over something that isn't super controllable in a couple different contexts. Like practicing medicine, there's so many stipulations around how you can practice medicine. And when you are in a traditional clinical setting, I feel like there's just a lot of ways that you don't get to do things the way you wanna do them, or oftentimes the way that's even in the best interest of your patient because you're kind of a victim of the insurance industry. And then also there's these pieces around having this diagnosis of, M- of MS and that feeling I'm sure like there's so many things you can't control around that Mm -hmm. and so then to outside of those two really big things that are big and daunting and out of your control (laughs) to build something that you get to pick like how do I build something where I just get to choose joy and like be in my gifts and be in my strengths and not have to sit and figure out how to work around the confines of a a chronic uh, health condition or the confines of a
1: horrendous industry (laughs) it's so exhilarating like to have that. And that's actually, it's funny because the first thing that like we do in the collective that I run is we do creativity. That's like the first like (laughs) part of the framework, which is like, Mm. what would it look like? Like, what could this be? Like, let's visualize this. And it's kind of like, I, we never got time to do that. If you think about one of the things we do is like, we sit down and we're like, okay, let's, Try to imagine, like, a really important, a really cool, fun childhood memory. And, like, doing that is kind of, like, it's like cobwebs, right? That you have to, like... I know. That's, like, a hard question.
0: <laughs> I'm going to need a couple days to think of one.
1: <laughs> exactly, right? It's like, what? What? Visualize. What is that? You know? Yeah. So... Having to build that like muscle again, and something that we do so as a pediatrician, like something that we do so often as children that children do in a dime, right? Can just like imagine that this is this and this is that. And when we have that creativity to say, I can build something that's not even there, or I can control this and say, I want to build more time with these two children or I want to build more community of people connecting with each other. It starts to be like, addictive.
0: (laughs) Yes. So we have you and I have been in a couple settings where we've been pushed to be creative in different (laughs) ways. (laughs) When we've been in mastermind settings. And I remember sitting next to you when we did the soul collage, I think is what it was called. (laughs) And it was so interesting, because we had to like cut out pieces from magazine art, um, and put them on these little, like five by seven pieces of cardboard. And I loved it. But there were people who were angry about it and like did not like it at all and people it's so interesting people if you are in professions where you're never forced to be creative it's very hard and very uncomfortable and then when we were together the next time a few months later we had to do drawings and we had to be creative and i was i knew you're gonna bring that up (laughs) oh i was like filled with rage like i will cut out pictures and glue them on something all day long but to spend hours like drawing stick figure representations of things I was so angry, I hated it,
1: I hated it so much. You should have seen, like, we just looked at each other like, no, we like." There, I wish like one of us was at least someone who kind of had some like, okay, let's try, no, we both kind of just like, Mm-mm. no, I don't see it. Why is this one?
0: Yes, I'm like, give me an outline. I want like a word, an Excel <laughs> or Word doc open with like an outline and bullet points and things numbered. I do not want to sit and try to draw stick figures <laughs> Or, like, create art. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's, I mean, it's really interesting because, um you know, we talk like, I talked a little bit about kind of, for me and my kids, like, they now, it's kind of, like, train people how to treat you. <laughs> and it's, like, yeah my kids know, okay, if it's, like, reading time or if it's, like, dance party time, let mom know. So that's, like, a really good bonding with me and them. But if it's, like cut out and make this picture time. They're like, okay, we're just gonna do this. We're gonna go to the art room and make sure you know, and it's just right We're gonna not invite Mom into this. We're not gonna invite Mom because she gets super stressed and then she gets angry and then shes and it's not a fun art process for us
0: so right, right. It's so interesting. but I also think it's really great to be able to to push yourself to, yeah. to think in different ways and be creative in different ways. It definitely does open things up, even though it might make you angry. So. <laughs> and I also think there's parts of it that can be de-stressing. This is what I've learned is like, I like art with boundaries. And so I love to sit in color with Vinny because there's lines. <gasps> Me,
1: too. Me too. I've learned that actually when I went to Seattle, we got this color. Oh, that's right. Yes. We got to see each other in Seattle a while ago yes, we got this coloring book in the airport. And like, you know, my daughter, like, she was like, hey, mommy, you want to do a page? And I was like, okay. And if you like saw me and saw how like I was just and she's like, mama, are you finished? (laughs) Can I have that crayon? I'm like, no, (laughs) you're like, no, mommy's busy. I'll be done soon. Okay. It is so relaxing. Yes. I honestly think that, you know, where like, Why burnout is so important to me is because I feel like burnout really, or the pathway to burnout, I should say the stress really, it boxes us in. And I just feel like there's so much, for example, let me give you an idea. So I have a Facebook group and one of the things that I'll do in the group is at their questions. And one of the questions is, what is your goal that you would like to accomplish if all things were possible in 2020? And for these physicians who are spent years becoming anesthesiologists and whoever, and like cardiologists and surgeons, and it's like, write a book, start a nonprofit, Mm -hmm. do, you know, all of these kind of dreams. And I honestly like abhor burnout because it's like literally taking these things away from like us, like the people who would benefit from these dreams if fully realized. And after seeing kind of, you know, albeit small, (laughs) what I was like starting to create, I was like, this, if, if this didn't happen and this didn't happen, this wouldn't have happened. I'm just thinking about how that unity and that connection with other women, like I'm just trying to think through kind of how do we make sure that certain dreams and certain things that could be so beneficial to others don't get put by the wayside because our society has made us think that, you know, we have to work like this and we have to, you know, that quote where we have to work like we don't parent and parent like we don't work. Yes. And it honestly has led to us having these artificial expectations of who we are, what we should look like. And the problem with it and the thing that of why I, instead of doing just one-on-one coaching, was really adamant about creating a collective that would be able to interface with each other Um, was the fact that we, for us, as as, particularly as black women, a lot of times our voices are misconstrued if we speak up as hostility, anger, as um, uh, being too emotional or too passionate um, and not being, and our thoughts aren't seen as valid. And to have a space where you can speak freely and be trusted and be valued was missing in so many women's lives, particularly women of color, and definitely among Black women physicians who a lot of times have been told that this space is not for you. (laughs) So just stay quiet and try to mold yourself as close to the white male (laughs) image as possible so that you don't make waves. And so really, I think the burnout, burnout for me was, I think, a natural way of life. It was kind of our norm because you're just dealing with the racism, you're dealing with the women stuff, you're dealing with the like mom stuff, you're dealing with the discrimination stuff. And it just, I felt like if we were going to do anything or really start to like make our dreams realized we had to figure out ways to to get through burnout, to prevent it, not even allow it to happen, but how do we prevent it? And a lot of that was like vulnerability, community, and building our confidence in who we were, which are the main tenets of the, you know, the framework that I, I bring to the women I get to work with.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. You said vulnerability, community, and confidence. Yes. I think, oh, I love all of that. And I think that everyone listening is like, yes, absolutely. We all want to be in a place where those are like, those are the tenants, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. So important. And can you talk a little bit about why you decided to focus distinctly on women of color in your coaching practice? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. It's funny because I put something on my Twitter about, you know, and I knew it was going to be controversial. And it was like, women of color need like non-white spaces. (laughs) And, you know, I knew people would be like, why? Why? no, isn't that, you know, good? isn't that segregation? That's not. And honestly, every space that we exist in is none of it is non-white, right? So we live our lives like in beautifully integrated places. And unfortunately for, I think, a lot of us what we what we've realized is that there's a lot around making sure that we don't make other people uncomfortable. Mm. Just walking into certain spaces make people uncomfortable. And so it's kind of like I want to be free, I want to be myself, I want to speak like the way I'd speak with my sisters when I'm like at home, you know. I want to do those things but I don't feel safe to do those things because I don't know who's watching, who may say, why is she here? Why is she acting like that? Why? And those kind of pressures really are hard to deal with on a constant basis. And so I felt like I wanted to create a safe space for women, black women in particular because of like the historical legacy of really, you know, of really not having our our needs met as all women, but women of color as well, but also because We are so so distant in terms of like when we see ourselves. So, for example, when I talk about the two percent, you know, a lot of times in those professional spaces, one, it was hard to find somebody with your shared experience. And then also that connect with you culturally around kind of some of those lessons that you've learned at home and the experiences that you have and really being able to merge those two is like a sense of safety and a sense of connection. And the reason why I say that is because now, like when I invite women, I'm like, hey, so what do you do, a pediatrician, but I've run this um, empowerment collective for black women physicians. They're like, oh, what, like, where is that? Like, really? You know, because it's unheard of, it really is. It's kind of like, and there are spaces that are there, associations for, you know, black women physicians, but what we're trying to do is not only network and get us together, but I'm on a mission to re- be like, hey, I don't want you to just take up space. I want you to own that space. We're going to build you up professionally and personally and not forget that you're a mom, a sister, a daughter and a wife. And that that is uniquely important to like where you want to be. And I think I couldn't find that. I needed that. And so I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to create it. And even if it's janky in the beginning, <laughs> I'm going to create it. I'm going to create it and like, let women help me make it not janky.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think that that's, I think that, and I'm curious if this is like the opposite of medical school, because I imagine medical school is like, everything is like wait till you can cross all the T's and dot all the I's before you can take a step because you're conditioned for like malpractice, right? And liability. And this is like permission to just go create something imperfect, figure it out as you go pivot as you need to, because it's so needed, you like can't afford to wait.
1: Yes, exactly. And you know, I'm when I was a resident, I had so many things that I looking back, I hadn't even thought of them as offenses just due to how I looked I thought it was just like mm. it was me and you bring that and you start thinking that that it's not the system it's like just me and you bring all of that baggage and it just weighs on you when I've talked to women on call they've been like you know I I'm so self-conscious and I don't know how to take it off. And I'm just like, look, this is not something that like literally like is just a deep, uh, you know, a defect or something from you. Like this is something that's been built and cultivated. Like, yeah, as a resident, I've been spit on. I was spit on as a resident. I've, you know, been told to take out trays, even though I, um, you know, even though I had a white coat and a stethoscope on me, like, and this is in the 2000s, so this is not, and so it's just, yeah. you know, it will weigh on you to the point where you're like, is it me? And it takes a lot of reflection and a lot of work, inner work and work from other people to know your value and also to start to peel that off and really understand kind of, this is totally not me. And not only is it not me, but we're going to like literally bash the system to figure out like how do we prevent. That from happening to other women and the one thing that i would say is that i had written something where i said like i cannot ethically promote another little girl telling me that she wants to go into medicine until we change this system like i can't do that you know and so that i think is the motivation if we bring these women together like our voice to be heard really allows for us to push the needle elevate these are the problems with the system and actually make some movement that now generates a space that is welcoming and more inclusive for us to make sure that it's not going to stay as 2% of the the national, right, you know, so that's kind of the motivation has to be much bigger than this has, it is so much bigger than this.
0: Yeah. Tell me about some of the so when you create the space for vulnerability, community and confidence for physicians of color, for female physicians of color, tell me about some of the magical things that you've seen happen in that space.
1: So exciting because like recently I got one of my moms who was finishing up, she sent me a video and you know, and she's totally not like that person. She, she hates it. She was like, I know you said I could do a written one, but you said you wanted a video, but you, I know you said I could do a written testimonial, but I felt like I need to do it. <laughs> like after like, I love it. I'll be, like she's like, yeah, I feel like you deserve a video. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. See how like, you know, not in terms of like it being like, but you can see like, this is not her element, of course, but it was so emotional. And I think the things that came out from what she said was that she was like, I, we see our mothers do it, like do all of the things and work so hard. And it made me realize that. For me to be a good mom, I didn't have to be like that. Didn't have to be my story. And I think the other piece was that there's so much more control I have than I thought I had in terms of what life can look like for me. And so now some of the things that, you know, people have wanted, which is like, I'm going to go for the promotion. And other people who have said, you know what, I need to move (laughs) and I need a different space like, literally, we're, like, now, like, you know, on, like, Zillow, like, trying to figure out, okay, where's the place? Like, she's like, I need to move. I'm going to actually, you know, transition from medicine and become an educator. And I'm starting, like, at my adjunct professor. I got this role to become an adjunct professor, so I'm going to start that. Or I remember one who was like, I just told them that I'm going, I'm taking this time off, and I'm, I'm not filling it with anything. I'm actually going to, like spend, have more time to like pick up my three-year-old and like hang out with them. And so, you know, whether it's like writing a book or starting a nonprofit or literally just having the balls and the courage to say to your boss, like, no, I'm not going to add that on. I'm actually, and no, it's not because I'm filling it with something else. I actually am going to go home on time and (laughs) be with my child because that's what's important with me to me right now. And ambitious women who are able to be ambitious, but not have that feel like they're not being ambitious and realizing that personal and professional goals are equally important, I think, has been really exciting to see in the collective. Yeah.
0: I love it. What are the things you believe moms need to overcome in their tendencies to be super moms?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I think, you know, ultimately, you've heard the whole thing with like, you know, you have to value yourself and take care of yourself and put yourself first and everything. But I think the one thing that is particularly important for us is to get back to understanding like before Or even now, like, why am I here? I know I have kids, right? What are they supposed to, like, see from me? Like, is it the time that I'm spending with them and understanding how to be in the moment and be present? Is it that there's something that they need to see? You know, those kind of things are really important and a lot of times drive us, but we don't think about ourselves and what is it that brings us joy, you know, and outside of our children. What is it that is going to keep us like when those children leave us Mm -hmm. and they're like, no, I want to talk to you right now. (laughs) You know, I'm not answering the phone. Like, what is it? We can't like put everything. They are the most precious thing and you can never, right. Like see life, like anything to happen to them. It's like somebody says our hearts, right. Just like walking around and just playing around. Right. But I think it's more so about having to go back into what is your purpose and your mission? What is it that is bringing you joy? And, you know, that takes some time. So we do a whole thing on something called strategic futuring, which is like seeing. (laughs) Yes, it's interesting. And I'll send the link, but it's I forget her book and I'll send that to you. But the idea is Not thinking, and even I think it's really relevant now, because if you think about this pandemic, if you do strategic futuring, your idea is moving all the way towards 15 years from now. So if we think in 2035, what, and we go back like each five years, what were the things that had to happen in 2030? And then you go back in 2025 and then come back in 2020. So what are the things that I need to be doing now that's actually going to get me to that visualized place of where I am in 2035 and we start to think like that you look at a pandemic and you're kind of like okay (laughs) like but 2035 you know and so you start to think about I'm not gonna let this pandemic actually stop me because there's so many things that need to happen for me to get to that place in the future. And I can actually do that because this will be a distant memory at that time when I reach that time. And so why, how can I let this really stop me from getting there? And how can I just think about what's the one thing that I can do differently in these next three months that will push me closer to that In 2035 and it really is being future oriented and so often we are literally hour oriented like present oriented but not even like the day right it was like oh my gosh okay let me see if I can get to 5 p.m yeah and I think that's the piece that we have to have that reflection time to start to think bigger think broader so we don't end up in 2035 like oh how'd I get here (laughs) yeah like I accidentally just landed here
0: yeah That's so true. I have people often when people come to me for one-on-one business coaching, we always do a five-year dream dump where basically you do like a brain dump of all your dreams of the things just in the next five years. Because when you tell people like, if you say like, well, what are your goals for the next one year? People are like very realistic about things and like they hold themselves back and they're very like reasonable and edited and filtered. But when you even say five years, which is not that long compared to 15, 20 years, you can give them this parameter of five years, all of a sudden like, the, first of all, it's like paralyzing, like, well, I don't even know. And then when the floodgates open, there's like, oh my gosh, so many things can happen in five years. And there's this sense of like excitement and terror and freedom and joy, like all of this stuff. And it's so interesting. I think that when we give ourselves these longer time frames, that we can stretch the dreams. It's so much more dynamic.
1: That's exactly. Yeah, which is really exciting. Yeah, because even in five years, you kind of like, well, the kids are seven or the kids are fourteen, and then like in fifteen years, right? So my oldest will be twenty-two. It's like a world away, yeah. <laughs> exactly, and my youngest will be. Tw- I'm like, oh god, like help the world, like you know, <laughs> like they're gonna be out on the loop.
0: I mean, we already know your daughter's gonna be a rock star musician of some sort.
1: <laughs> exactly. Your is that because that's your youngest, right? That's my youngest. Yeah. The makeup artist slash uh, dance like legend. Yes. What's her name? Her name is Tolani. Tolani. Okay. So
0: on Omalar's Instagram, she's put up a few videos of Tolani. And I'm obsessed with that. Like I watch them over and over because she's so amazing. Like she goes into these dance routines and she's all about business. Like, she's not messing around when she goes to dance. It's amazing. But yes, to imagine her being,
1: you know, almost an adult. It's like a little scary to the world. (laughs) Yeah, no, but then it allows like you to really be creative, right? Because you're like, Yeah, what? Where am I? Where will I be? I'm gonna be like, what 53? Okay, what is that gonna look like for me? You know? So yeah, yeah, it's super exciting. Yeah, I love this idea. Okay, so tell
0: us more about your podcast and people who are listening, where can they find you connect with you, learn more from you, all those kinds of things.
1: Yeah. So at the home base is melaninmedicinemotherhood.com. So that's where like the podcast episodes live. That is where the blog lives. That is where all of my social media handles are. And as you know, my Instagram, I go a little crazy there, but it's also Motherhood. And then for those who are Black physician moms, I have a Facebook group, which is called Melanin Medicine and Motherhood. And all of that's accessible at the the website. So the website, the main place. And yeah, so that's the best place. (laughs) Yay, I love it. Oh, I was going to say with the podcast, like, so a lot of people, you know, if you do it there, because most of the initial place where the initial way we had it was Supermom Rehab, as you know, and so we're switching that over for season two, so it'll start on May 4th, but then we are switch everything over to Melon and Medicine Motherhood, but to listen to the episodes, that's the best place. <laughs> but it's on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and all those other
0: places. Nice, so if this goes live, this I'm trying to think of time-wise. This will probably go live right around the time that you... Oh, yeah. Right around the time of the rebrand. So people can find you. If they look up Supermom Rehab, those episodes will still be there, I'm assuming. Or they can look up Melanin Medicine Motherhood. All right. Well, we have everything linked up in the show notes. So people can go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Omalara, and you'll get all the links right there in the show notes. And then last question, in what ways are you currently showing up as a shameless mom?
1: Ooh, so I would say my Twitter is probably the most shameless. I love it. (laughs) Do you know, no one has ever said that before. (laughs) Like, that's super, you're very cool. (laughs) My Twitter is like, you know how Beyonce has Sasha Fierce? Yes, (laughs) your Twitter's your Sasha Fierce. (laughs) I don't have a Sasha, I don't have a name for her. But it's kind of like Twitter is just like my, you know, radical Angela Davis side of like, This is what I hate. And my blog probably is getting more. It's probably becoming more of that. But it really I think that just being able to be vocal about what I don't like, you know, and what I what irks me, what makes me mad, what makes me angry that I have faced and what that people continue to face as black women. I think that is what makes me like shameless because they see it, my kids see it. And like, you know, my kids have been somewhat a bit, you know, what people would say is a radical too, in terms of like, what they think five and seven year olds do. And that makes me super proud.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, I love it. So good. So I want people to follow you. What's your Twitter handle?
1: My Twitter handle is at Dr. Omolara. That was what it was. It's D-R-O-M-O-L-A-R-A, Dr. Omelara. But you can find it if you go on my website and just click the Twitter. (laughs) But yeah, that's my, yeah. (laughs) Okay. This has been
0: amazing, Omolara. It was worth the wait, worth the months of wait, worth fighting through the
1: COVID for the last couple of weeks. There was so many things. It was like, okay, now I was like will I ever get to speak to the fabulous Sarah Dean?
0: (laughs) I know it was worth the wait though. This was a ton of fun and I love your work. I love your mission. I'm so grateful for everything you're giving to the, your community right now, just on the front lines of COVID in terms of supporting all those women and teams and medical people who need that support right now. So yeah, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Sarah. (laughs)